the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything really that's on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car on this cool Tuesday, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, we don't have anything going on on Tuesday, so I'll get right to some questions that have been sent. The first one is from uh, Janie. Hi, Pastor On. I remember quite a while back you were talking about something either you read or saw on TV. And when they said something about the world being millions of years old, it lost your interest. I didn't quite understand it. When you said that, because we've been taught that the earth is millions of years old, the ice age happened millions of years ago, and so on. I've been watching this documentary called Is Genesis History? And it's going into the scientific fact and biblical history, the fact that the earth is more likely thousands of years old, including the ice age occurring after uh, or as a result of the great flood. This would make a whole lot more sense given the timeline in the Bible. I just wanted to share that with you because it's interesting to me and make sure that you heard me correctly back then. Janie, you're you're right. When I hear anything, and and, you know, I don't want to close my mind off, but you'll see these people that are experts and they're interesting, and then they'll say something like, well, you know, 200 million years ago this happened, and they lose all credibility. So it it demonstrates that they're not... um, um, honest intellectual scientists. They're not looking for the truth. Uh, They've just bought what all of us have been sold over the years. And you're right. We have been brainwashed. The the story of evolution uh, or Big Bang Theory and the age of the earth being hundreds of millions of years old or some now even billions of years old. Um, That's just, I mean, people accept that as fact without ever, ever checking into it themselves. So this is what I I, I think the problem is. You know, science has always been sort of our go-to. Well, science says, but but all you have to do is go back to the beginning of, of historical record, and science has always been changing. It's always been evolving. So the things that were facts 2,000 years ago are not facts anymore because now we have more proof, more evidence. So science keeps changing and science keeps evolving and especially when you're talking about the word of God and you're talking about the the, the origins of the universe it's really dangerous to be in that 
place where you're always changing your view because of the quote-unquote latest science. So what we got to do is make a decision. Do we believe that the earth was created in six literal days by God, that Adam and Eve were the first two humans on earth? And by the way, Jesus affirms both of those things. Do we believe that or are we going to believe what I call science fiction? And remember, science always begins with the presupposition that there is no God. And so their results are doomed from the beginning of having any credibility at all. So the earth is, in my view now, there's some room for for disagreement here, but not into the millions or hundreds of millions of years uh, old uh, area. But but I believe that the earth is between seven and 10,000 years old. Um, that's a study I've done. Uh, I, I recognize that that uh, we don't have all of the gaps filled in in the genealogies, but we have a lot of them filled in. So I believe that the earth is seven to 10,000 years old. Uh, and I believe that science is so bent on writing God out of history that um, anything they tell you, Janie, is just not going to be credible. So that's the thing, not credible. Let's go to JT on line one from San Antonio. JT, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Oh, hi, JT. You're my JT. I know you. (laughs) You, Yep. No, no. uh, Well, yeah, I am yours. (laughs) I'm ours, the flock. I have a question. Um, I'm calling it because I wanted to, I mean, I I know that we're going to have the, when we pass, we're going to be, you know, of course, the book, Book of Life is going to be opened up. And I heard this another book, the Book of Deeds, and I'm, you know, or somebody told me, hey, there's a Book of Deeds, and and I'm wondering, is it going to be good stuff or bad stuff, and and then possibly a third book? It, it, I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, I I, I kind of think, you know, I understand the Book of Life. That's going to be where we're going to be as Christians, those of us who are born again. Uh, our name is going to be written in there, showing that we belong to Jesus. Uh, is the book of deeds what what is that about and is is there a third book or did somebody just fabricate that yeah gt we don't know we don't have specific information on the books all it says is that the books plural were opened now we know for sure there is a lamb's book of life and the lamb's book of life would contain your name jt and mine because uh, we're born-again believers. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and those are the people that are going to be in heaven forever and ever. But there's also other books, and, and, and the other books are, it's, it's, I don't think the right term is the Book of Deeds, but, but I think we're going to be judged. When we stand before the Lord, we're going to be judged on one of two bases. We're going to be judged on the basis of what we did and the heart we did it with, the motive behind what we did, or we're going to be based on the, the, the life of Jesus and the things that he did. Now, you and I, because we're believers, our sins have been wiped out. So the book of my life, if there's a book of, of uh, Ron Arbaugh's life, um, when it's open, all the things that I ever did are going to be in that book. All the things that I ever did are going to be in that book, good and bad. And, of course, the sins would separate me from God. However, and this is the beauty of of being in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, our book is covered in the bloodstains of Jesus Christ. There's a great old song. Uh, When I got saved, in fact, it was one of the the most popular Christian songs. It was called The Bloodstained Pages, and it was sung by a, a girl named Crystal Lewis. And she said, when the books are open... Um, all the charges against me are covered by the bloodstained pages of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so there's not going to be an accusation. And JT, that always makes me think of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And when all of the accusers were sent away, you know, Jesus knelt down and was writing in the sand uh, with his finger. Uh, uh, and, and one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave. And, um, and they were all gone. And Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're all gone. And he said, neither do I accuse you. And that's because in this process of meeting Jesus, she became a a believer and her sins were covered like yours and mine. Now, the unsaved world, JT, is going to open that book and all those pages are going to be crystal clear. Now, you understand these books are figurative or metaphors. There's not going to be a literal book, but, but, but everything is going to be open and we're going to be judged 
based on what we did. And because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that's in the continuous present tense in Romans chapter 3, um, the, the, the sins are going to be overwhelming, and those are the sins that are going to condemn us to an eternity separated from God because we didn't trust in Jesus Christ, and thus our sins were not wiped out. For you and for me, JT, um, believe me, our sins are covered by the blood-stained um, pages of Jesus, and uh, the enemy accuses us night and day, and Jesus just simply says, hey, talk to the hand, no big deal. So those are the books that we know for sure. And there might be some other books. Where we know the, the Christians are going to stand at the Bema seat of Christ and we're going to give account of the things that we did, the motives we did them with. But in that case, JT, it's only to receive or to lose rewards. It won't be a question about heaven or hell because that issue has been settled once and for all when we're born again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine that when they say, uh, bring JT's sins in, you're going to hear a big, <laughs> and the big 18-wheeler is going to be pulling back. Remember, JT, Paul says he's the worst sinner, so we know we can't be the worst ones. So, But but our sins are covered <laughs> by the blood. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift yeah. from God. Thank you, well, JT. You know, that's, that's great. Thank you. Thank you, mm-hmm. Pastor Ron. And we'll God see bless. You. God bless you, sir. Here's a question from Dante. I like that name, Dante. Uh, he says, does Hebrews 1.1 prove that prophecy is no longer valid? Um, Dante, it does not. Now, Hebrews 1.1 says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at various times and in diverse or in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. And literally, that's the translation, in son. And what he's saying there, Dante, is that Jesus was God's final word to this earth until the very end when he calls his church home. And then the word that God has for the world is a word of judgment. And certainly nobody is going to want to be involved with that. So um, prophecy, uh, the gift of prophecy still exists But the office of prophet no longer does. We know that from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. So uh, Hebrews 1.1 is just speaking, generally saying, uh, in the past I sent servants to you. Jesus tells parables um, repeatedly about servants that were come and were killed and were abused um, until finally sent his son. Well, God's final word to the world that we live in, in 2023, Dante, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen from the dead. There's no other purpose. So the prophet of office is closed, or I'm sorry, the office of prophet is closed, uh, but the gift of prophecy still exists, but the gift of prophecy is not connected to a thus saith the Lord approach. It's simply exhortation or encouragement or edifying of the body of Christ. So, um, Prophecy still exists, the gift, but exercising the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet because prophet and apostle are now closed offices according to a combination of Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 and, of course, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It's very clear in the Greek, Dante, so I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got on the phone uh, Jimmy on line two from San Antonio. Long time no year, Jimmy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing right, Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) What, did you watch an old John Wayne movie? Oh, I like him. Well, he's passed away now, but I always like his movies. Want Want a fun fact about John Wayne? Two things? One, he his birthday and mine are the same day. Mm-hmm. And two, he picked me up hitchhiking one time when I was going from Pomona to uh, Newport Beach, where he lived. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I was just a long-haired hippie kid, and he probably wanted to take me out and beat me, but no, he was a nice guy. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> cool. What's up, Jimmy? Okay, um, John fifteen six. it says, If you do not buy, abide by me, uh, you are like a branch 
on a tree or something, uh, a tree, mm-hmm. and you will be thrown away. You'll be thrown away, and then it's, I think it says, like, you'll be thrown away and burned in the fire. Did I say it right? That's close, you, you, that's close paraphrase. Did I say it right? Yes. Okay. So that means, does that mean that, okay, these are like, that's us, right? We're the branches, right? No, no, no. Remember now, Jesus is talking to Jews here. Okay. Now, we can, we can apply the principle, but here's what he's saying. I am the vine. In, 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 in Israel, that imagery was very um, understood. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then what he's telling his opponents, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Now, he's talking there to his disciples, but, but he's talking of those who are his enemies. And then he says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. And then he says this, if you, back to the disciples, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Or another translation, now abide in my love. So here's what he's doing. He's making a good contrast, Jimmy. Those who are abiding or remaining in Jesus, they're the ones who are producing fruit. And then the others, and remember he's talking about the Jewish opponents. The others, he's saying they're Jewish, but that doesn't have any value for them. Apart from me, there's nothing substantial that they can do, and they will be dealt with, thrown away, and withered such branches are picked up, thrown in fire, and burned. So here's what he's saying. Those who oppose him, those who are his enemies, uh, their end is going to be uh, just like the branch that's thrown away and burned. It's their choice. They did it. Jesus didn't ordain it, nor did he cause it. But he knew that he was going to be opposed to the end. And, of course, we know that that's exactly what happened. And this is the Upper Room Discourse from chapter 14 through chapter 17 in the Gospel of John is Jesus' Upper Room Discourse. And so he's just basically saying, stay in me, disciples, and you'll bear much fruit. But if, if you, and remember, at this point, Judas is still there. Judas is still there. And he says, you're going to be thrown away and burned. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Um, that means hell or what? Well, that, it, it's, it's a, a metaphor for hell, yes. But we, okay. know, we know that right now Judas is uh, not in, in hell. The great uh, lake of fire has not yet been created. So uh, from Luke chapter 16, we know that Judas and the other enemies of Christ uh, are in a place of torment. Uh, in the center of the earth, in the abyss, or the Greek word is the abuso. And uh, so so that's the, the immediate reference. But later he will be thrown into the lake of fire, and um, that's where the, 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 the worm will not be quenched, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. And he's just trying to describe a horrible, horrible existence in eternity. Okay, sir. Thank you. My pleasure, Jimmy. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Here is a question. This one is from Richard. Uh, (laughs) Richard says, uh, Pastor, if God knows when I'm going to die, is there any reason to exercise um, or watch my diet? Um, Richard, yeah, there's a lot of reason to exercise and watch your diet. And God knows when you're going to die. Now, here's the thing. He knows if you're going to die before you need to die. People that don't take care of their bodies... They're going to die, uh, and God knows exactly the date. But remember, he's not the cause of that date. He just knows what that date is. You and I, Richard, we know that December seventh, 1941, uh, was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. We know that date. You didn't cause it. I didn't cause it. We know that um, September eleventh, two 2001, was when those planes were flown into the Twin Towers. Knowing it, we didn't cause it, but we know. And we know the dates. It's, it's etched into our brains. Well, God knows every date. And he knows exactly when you're going to die. But you can prolong your life. In other words, you can prolong what God knows 
by taking care of the body that you have. Bodily exercise profiteth little, Paul said. But spiritual training is of great value. And, and Paul is trying to give Timothy the balance there. And so we need to be healthy enough to serve the Lord. We really do. And um, remember, especially when you talk about watching diet, uh, we, we want to be able to communicate to people. And sometimes we let ourselves go to such a degree that um, um, people, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll won't listen to us. Um, you know, if, if I'm 100 pounds overweight, um, who's going to listen to me, take me seriously if I talk about self-control, being a fruit of the Spirit? So, Richard, God does know when you're going to die. But he also knows if you're going to do the right thing and be a good steward over the body that he's given you. And if you are, that will extend your life. So I hope that answers your question, Richard. Thank you very, very much. Let's take a phone call. We've got Lucy from Universal City on line one. Lucy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Lucy, can I, before you ask your question, can I ask you to do something? Sure. Okay. And I know you don't mind this. That's why I'm 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 asking. Uh, the Richard, who just sent in a question about watching his uh, diet and uh, exercising, um, and I talked about uh, extending his life. And um, w- would you so, d- just give us a brief synopsis of your story about extending your life? Oh, sure. Well, first of all, when I arrived at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, I was all of... Um, 400 pounds, soaking wet, as they say. <laughs> and uh, and when uh, I was in a relationship, and I still am, um, my husband and I did not have a godly marriage, as per se, uh, according to the scriptures. And I was in so much pain that uh, I used overeating to soothe my emotions and my, um, my just uh, what I needed. And I, I, I know that I trusted God at the time and, and continued to pray, but there was something really soothing about reaching for something to calm the, the pain. And uh, I used food as my drug of choice, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward, as God worked on our marriage and on our life together and drew us closer to each other and closer to Him, God put in our path certain things that helped move the mountains that we were facing. As um, as I did so uh, saying yes to God and yes to my doctor about a bariatric um, sleeve surgery. Um, I believe that God puts in our path the things that will help us. And we it's always our choice to say yes to God or no. But I'm so glad and I never will regret that surgery because at that point, um, to now, I have lost over 200 pounds, yeah. and uh, and I am just so blessed and pleased. Um, I uh, I know that by this time I would be in a wheelchair, unable to walk. I do struggle with osteoarthritis and with different situations with my kidneys, and it's all because of what I did to my body all those years. And so sin has a consequence. And uh, and so... Lucy, let me me stop you for a moment. Um, The point I want to make to Richard using your story and your call just popped in right after I got done with his question is that had you not taken seriously what the Spirit of God was warning you about your body, 
Um, God would have known the date of your death. It would have been much sooner. And one of the things that I'm able to do, and I've done this to you personally, I thank God for it as well, but but God has extended your life, I'm going to guess, at least 20 years uh, because you you really got serious about getting yourself as healthy as you possibly can. So here's what God knows. God knows that you're when you're going to die, but he also knows because of what you did, it's going to be many, many, many years later than it originally was. So I wanted to use that to encourage him, Lucy. So I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, Lucy, is it possible you can stay on the line? We're coming up to a hard break here. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Stay, in the, stay in the line. I'll get your question right after the break. That would be great. Thank you, Lucy. Hey, we're done with the first half of the program here. We appreciate uh, you paying attention. We'd love to have your questions and calls. Our number is 340-9585. That's area code 210. Toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 for your live calls and questions lucy are you still there i'm still here thank you so much so very very much for for helping, I hope, encouraging Richard to to take seriously his weight and exercise issues. So thank you very much. What was your question, Lucy? Well, that helps me to stay on track, too, because it's a daily um, battle. So, But what I wanted to bring up today was on Sunday when Laura Cowan was at the front and I went to greet her, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you heard us singing a song together, not up on stage, but just right there in front of the chairs. And um, and it had uh, a special meaning to me because it was the very first Christian album that I ever got when I first got saved. Um, and it was Daniel Amos. There was a song on it that uh, said... Uh, William in school, him singing, testifying, and they called him preacher. I mm-hmm. was there when he put him, when they put him down, but I got to say, I've come around. Oh, William, the kids were cruel, but I saw something different in you. The impression you made put the seed in me that began to grow when I first believed. <laughs> and the reason why I brought that that song up to Laura Cowan is because um, they were part of uh, Maranatha music. Yeah. And that really talks about my life too. Um, Not so much did I get um, teased at school for, for sharing Jesus, but I did when I was a teenager at school, I was already a Christian and I, I belonged to campus life for Christ. And uh, and I I am just so amazed how God preserves us and and holds us dear and uh, through all the turmoil that teenagers go through these days um, and even now uh, I know that we have such beautiful kids in our in our uh, Calvary Chapel San Antonio Academy that I. I was just so moved um, because of that thought that yeah. I just want to say I'm praying for the the group of seniors that are going to be graduating, and uh, I wanted to mention hang hang tight with Jesus, and no matter where you are, if it, if you are in a public school setting or a private school setting. Not everyone is a Christian yet, and we need to do our part to share uh, our faith wherever we go. 
Thank you, Lucy. Can Lucy, can I ask you, were you at the retreat reflection last night? Uh, yes, I was. I was the first to speak. Oh, were you? Okay. How was it? Was it? Was it beneficial? Was it edifying? Yes, it was. I I love the way the Holy Spirit speaks to each one individually, mm-hmm. and even though we all all heard the same message, it it seems that the, God touches specific areas of our life, and it it's like that's where He spotlights his uh, his message and so it was a, a variety of different points that were made throughout the whole evening it was really a beautiful it's online at uh on the app at calvary chapel um app uh, yeah. that you can download yeah. and, or, uh, or you could they could go online to calvaryessay.com and watch it as well and they're going to do one more week next monday this coming Monday yes. for uh, for retreat, retreat reflection as well. Thank you, Lucy. Sorry for keeping you on so long, but I, I thought you had something to offer. So thank you very much for your willingness. Oh, thank you, Pastor Ron. God uh-huh. bless you. You too. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. For those of you in the audience, when she mentioned Laura Cowan by name, Laura was our retreat speaker, and her and her husband John, who spoke here on on Sunday. Uh, here at the church, uh, they were part of the original uh, Maranatha music group um, that, that kind of started the whole Jesus um, music movement, uh, and it was really fun to have them. And Laura, I heard her singing. Uh, she she has just a wonderful voice, a, a wonderful voice, and her and John have done some recordings and some things like that. Thank you, Lucy. Here's a question from Scott from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I read an article today about a church in Connecticut that is suing the state for a vaccine mandate directing the schools that they had a choice between compelling their students to vaccinate, expelling them if they didn't, or facing forcible state closure. The church is claiming a violation of the First Amendment by saying our message to the state is clear. We will obey God first. What do you think of the situation? And does the church have biblical precedent? You know, Scott, a couple of things. I'm going to take this in a couple of different directions. Um, I, first, let me just say, I think the church ought not to be suing people. You know, we, we, we've been given rights. The Constitution calls them inalienable, inalienable rights. Um, but, but, you know, when, when there's persecution, um, uh, I think... Um, the rest of the world, the, the rest of the Christian world, people just, just accept the consequences of their stance. When we take a stand for Christ, in this case, uh, against the vaccine or compelling kids to be vaccinated, when we take that stand, then we do that based on our walk with God, our conscience between us and the Lord. And then we, we're willing to accept the consequences. Um, um, we're going to read in Sunday's Bible study uh, here at Calvary Chapel, Stephen um, exercise his rights, and then they killed him. Um, uh, there, there are consequences. We will be persecuted, the Bible says, and I think we're so persecution-averse. Now, I don't want to sound naive. Nobody likes persecution, but I think that's part and parcel of standing with and for Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm just not a fan of suing uh, our governments or our local municipalities, whatever whatever the, the situation may be. Um, but but uh, honestly, I think probably if this were anything other than the vaccine, uh, I would say, yes, the church does have solid grounds for biblical grounds, not biblical grounds, but legal grounds for for a lawsuit. Um, um, I, I, I don't really get the part of that, their message. The church says our message is state is clear. We will obey God first. Um, that's just what it should be. Now, let me talk about the vaccine mandate for a moment. The, the world, and this is why the, this, this lawsuit will not go anywhere. Uh, the world is never going to admit they were wrong about the vaccine. Period. Compelling. It was, it was done in a time of fear. Uh, it was overkill. Um, whatever other motives they had that were behind the issue. We know not only did the vaccine not stop COVID-19, we know that it didn't help people who had been vaccinated from getting it. Uh, it didn't help minimize their 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 uh, complications, uh, as was advertised. 
Um, we also know that the vaccine continues to do a lot of damage and damage such that we're going to keep experiencing. We've, we've unleashed um, this experimental vaccine on people and it's causing a lot of problems. So uh, I just think one of the things that we do as a Christian, we stand our ground. This is what Jesus says to do. This is what we're convinced is right. And then we're willing, if possible, uh, if, if necessary, rather, we're, we're willing to endure the consequences in the first century church. They, they praised God because they were counted worthy of suffering for the name. Paul calls it joining in the sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Uh, in, in 2023 here in the United States, we don't want to do that. We want to exercise our rights, but we don't want to stand and endure any consequences. And I think that is antithetical to what the Bible teaches. So, Scott, that's that's one person's opinion. Um, I just believe very strongly uh, that this lawsuit is going to be doomed, and I have not read the article myself, so I'll look it up as well. Thank you very much for the question. Here is our next question from Rhonda. Um, she asks, what does the Apostle Paul mean when he says the Holy Spirit forbids him to go in Asia? How did the Holy Spirit forbid him? You know, Rhonda, we're not given the details, but I think this is one of the one of the really and truly um, um, liberating passages of Scripture that we have. Uh, I tell people all the time that that uh, if our heart is right with God, the decisions we make don't have to be right. God will protect us. God will redirect our steps if our motives are right. And I think this is what happened with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wanted to go into Asia where the gospel had not been preached. That was his goal all along. And on three occasions in the book of Acts, we read that the Spirit forbid him to go. Uh, it's not that it wasn't the right thing. It just wasn't the right timing. And God uh, sent Paul in a different direction. And you remember, we, he had the, the vision of the man from Macedonia uh, and in sleep saying, come here, come here. In other words, we need you, we need you. And Paul went there first. Well, his relationship with the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, uh, primarily, um, his, that, those churches funded the rest of his ministry for the rest of his life, no longer having to, to do tent making um, to, to support himself. Um, God was preparing Paul to be able to go into Asia Minor, which is where he wanted to go, but he was preventing him from doing it before the time. So Paul was right. He knew God wanted him to go to Asia, but when he was pro prohibited from going, it was because the time wasn't right. And, and Paul would then be able to later look back and see the hand of God in it. And then he describes that door in Asia being opened for him. And he says, a great door for effective or powerful ministry was opened for me in Asia. And of course, that's when he went to Ephesus and, and the area in and around there. So, um, how the Holy Spirit forbid him, we're not told. Um, could have been circumstances. Um, in one case, it was the vision from the man from Macedonia. So there are plenty of ways that God can communicate with us. Good question, Rhonda. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Natalie. Boy, this is a hard question, Natalie. Should a man be an elder or pastor? And, and really, that's the, the, those are the same office when you're talking about the biblical description, Natalie. Should a man be an elder or pastor if his wife is not supportive of his, of his calling? The reason I said it's a hard question, it doesn't nullify a man's calling. It just nullifies or disables him from being able to fulfill that calling. And of course, then there's going to be a life that is is um, um, frustrating and, and, and uh, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of conflict is going to be in it. Um, so Natalie, no, I, I wouldn't let one of my pastors remain on staff as a pastor if his marriage uh, was in, in disarray, if his wife was not supportive of his calling. You know, here at Calvary Chapel, Natalie, we're, we're such a family. And uh, if, if we had a, 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 a husband who was on my pastoral staff and his wife wanted nothing to do with it, well, that would ruin the chemistry, the fellowship, the sweetness of the fellowship that we have here. So um, I personally don't think 
anybody should do that. It may not be the husband's fault, but it could be. And I think this is one of the things that people really need to understand before accepting a call in the ministry. Um, God is calling, in this case, because it's a pastor husband, but by virtue of being the, the, the wife of the, of the pastor husband, she's also called. So this is just one of those things, well, that's your calling. You do that. I don't want any part of it. You, she, the, the woman doesn't have the choice in that situation. She's one flesh. They're not two. They can't go separate ways. Uh, Peter says that they're joint heirs of the grace of life together. In other words, there's no individual grace if you're in a marriage. The, the grace comes to you, two becoming one. And I think the partnership in the ministry is so critically important. And when I say critical, I'm not using hyperbole. Uh, Paula is my partner in every single way that she could possibly be my partner. In in life, in ministry, she's my friend, she's my lover, she's, she's um, a confidant, she's the only person, the only human on this planet who has always and only wanted the best for me. Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? So um, this is a this is a, a situation where uh, they need some marriage counseling. They need it quickly because the enemy will use this lack of support to destroy any calling, but also eventually to, to cause the, the, the relationship to dissolve or, or at least be um, a relationship where there's where there's lacking love, where resentment is able to grow. A uh, root of bitterness can come up. So no, I don't think a, a man should be a pastor and elder if his wife isn't supportive of his calling. But Natalie, the woman, and I don't know if you're talking about you or somebody else, um, the, the, the woman needs to deal with God. Why am I not supportive of the calling that you put on my husband's life? I think sometimes we think we have a choice when God calls. We don't. And Paula, when she came here to Texas with me, knowing I was going to be a pastor, she was terrified. She didn't feel called to be a pastor's wife. She had no idea what it meant to be a pastor's wife. Um, But, you know, she had enough faith in God to stay the course. And 28 years later, here we are. And I may be a little bit biased, but I think she's the best pastor's wife in the whole world. So um, I hope that makes some sense to you. Bradley has another tough question. Um, Pastor Ron, if a pastor falls sexually, can he be restored to the pulpit? Bradley, I'm going to give you an answer that probably most other pastors would disagree with. I do believe very strongly. Jesus says too much is given, much is required. And that sense is always much more is required. Um, James says not many of you should seek to be teachers because you stand a, a, a greater degree of accountability. You're going to be judged more harshly uh, to whom much is given, much is required. So when we're entrusted with the very word of God, then we're responsible to live it, not just to preach it. We're responsible to live it as best we're able. So uh, I personally believe that when a pastor is unfaithful to his wife, um, that that disqualifies him from ever being a pastor again. God gave him a choice, and this doesn't mean that God can't use his gifts. He could teach uh, Bible students. He could teach uh, classes. Uh, he can minister to kids. He can minister to young adults. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities to use the gift. The gifts of calling of God are irrevocable, Hebrews says. But... But the one thing he can't do, in my view, is go back to the pulpit. I think the accountability is such that God would simply um, dismiss that person from ever being in that position again. That's how I believe, Bradley, that God treasures um, uh, the people in the, in the congregation. Uh, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be dependable. We've got to be above reproach. That doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means that we want to be. And I think when we, we sin against our own body, when we sin against our wives uh, by cheating with another woman, uh, I, I think that puts us in a, in a place where we are disqualified from being the, the pastor or a lead pastor of a church ever again, a pulpit pastor in particular. Now, when I said 
there are more people that disagree with me than agree with that. Uh, I want to say that honestly. Uh, there's a whole bunch of churches who have restored fallen pastors, and those pastors uh, show up again in their public figures, and some of them do it in a matter of a few months. Uh, I, I think we're so addicted to um, the charisma of a, of a gifted communicator. Um, uh, I think we want to be merciful, um, but I, I just don't think we take the calling and the responsibilities of the calling seriously enough. And sadly, uh, just way, way, way too many churches are, are, uh, are, are with their arms open wide will receive a fallen pastor back uh, very, very quickly. And I think most of the time the track record demonstrates that they're not really restored or ready to step back into the pulpit again. So, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy, Bradley, when a pastor will stand before his church and say, you know, I've sinned and um, God, I've asked God for forgiveness. My wife has forgiven me. And we make this this very dramatic um, confession to the people. And, you know, it's always ends with somebody saying, well, please forgive me, and I love you, and I'm sorry I did this, and, and the people in the body will stand up and give them a standing ovation at the end of it. Uh, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. We can't soften the blow that God wants to deliver. We need to be held accountable, and we who are pastors need to be the ones who are the most accountable. So I hope that makes sense to you, Bradley. Here is an anonymous question he or she says, if I want to speak in tongues at church, how would I know if an interpreter is present? You know, Anonymous, um, you, you don't have to know because here's what will happen. If you are given the gift of tongues and God gives you a message, what the person who is um, facilitating the meeting should be. We're going to be having an afterglow um, this Friday. Um, uh, what we do after glows, it's, it's a, a time when the body ministers to itself. The gifts of the Spirit are able to flow. Gifts of, uh, sometimes people speak in tongues. Um, the, the gifts of, of knowledge and wisdom are given. Uh, exhortation continually takes place. And um, we, we're going to do that this Friday night. And if somebody stands up and says, I have a gift in tongues, and this just happened the last afterglow we had, um, then we'll have him stand up and, and loudly enough that everybody can hear it. He'll, he'll, he'll pray in his tongue. And then when he's done, I'll say, now let's just wait for an interpretation. And um, if there is no interpretation, according to the guidelines that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, then we will have no more, no more uh, people speaking in tongues. So we wait for the interpretation. If it doesn't come, then we have no more. We don't entertain any more uh, speaking in tongues. And that's two or three at the most in every meeting. So uh, to have everybody get up and speak in tongues uh, is wrong. But if you if, if the opportunity presents itself, not just you barging in, but if the opportunity presents itself and you have a word in tongues, if there is uh, an interpreter, somebody who has the gift of interpretation uh, in the audience, um, then then we just wait and leave it for them. Now, let me say this. Um, all the times we've had afterglows, uh, and it's not that often that people speak in tongues, but when they do, we've never failed to have somebody who has the gift of interpretation in, in the audience. If, if it's truly a, a, a word from the Lord, he wants us to know, what the application is or, or what the action we can take is. And so there'll be somebody with the interpretation. And one of the beautiful things about it in, in our afterglows is a lot of times uh, the person who interprets it didn't know he or she had that gift, Anonymous, and um, God gave them that gift at that moment, which is what he wants to do when the, when the body is, is in fellowship together in a time like this. Uh, we had one uh, at one of our men's retreats um, somebody gave a word in tongues during our afterglow, and and there was a 15 year old boy in in the audience, and uh, uh, we let the, the dads bring their sons uh, if they're 15 or older, and 
a 15-year-old boy got the interpretation. And he was, he, he was nervous and scared, and he didn't really stand up and share it, but somebody else did. And because he was slow to do it, somebody else did. And it was exactly the same interpretation he got. He was so excited that God gave him a gift and that God was going to use him. And he purposed in his heart, I'm never going to be slow to get up and do it again. So uh, just just take a step of faith. Uh, If nobody interprets it, then it's just no more tongues. Don't take it personal. Uh, It was just um, for a lot of reasons. It wasn't the direction that the Lord, the Holy Spirit wanted to go. Wonderful question. Just remember, you want to speak in tongues, do it under the guidelines given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. Okay, I think we got just two minutes left. Is that right? Um, here's a two-minute question. Uh, this is from Maria. Do you think Melchizedek was a theophany? Uh, I do, Maria. Uh, I think it's, to to me, it's very, very clear. I know that there's some will say, well, no, he was a type of Christ. But the, 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 the scriptures, I think, are so clear. He's, he's a prince of Salem. That's a prince of peace. Um, uh, He's, he's a a different kind of priest, a priest, uh, unlike the Levites. He's not from the tribe of Levi. Um, he is, um, um, he's worshipped, literally. Abraham worships him um, by, by, by making an offering to him. Uh, he, he brings with the bread and the wine the elements of communion that point to Jesus Christ. So I think it's very clear that this is a Christophany. I like to call it a, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Good questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.